0: podcast is part of the sports social podcast network
1: at firehouse subs a portion of every purchase helps provide life-saving equipment to first responders we make our subs differently because our subs make a difference like our italian sub piled high with genoa salami pepperoni and virginia honey ham or our firehouse meatball sub with zesty marinara both with melted provolone and italian seasoning your choice, just $6.99 each for a medium and only for a limited time at Firehouse Subs. Tap the banner now to start your order. It is the weekly, it's match week, no more international football. Very soon, everything back in action on Sunday at Craven Cottage. Looking forward to that, uh, even though it is a midday kickoff. Uh, joining me tonight, uh, three fantastic guests uh, after making his debut on Subs Weekly, Last week, uh, straight back on again this week, Alan Healy, uh, thanks very much for coming on mate, how are you doing?
0: Fine well, man, thanks for having me on, I appreciate
1: it. Uh, I imagine you would have took particular interest last night in Spain's 6-0 win over Germany, haven't covered a lot of La Liga
0: over the last yeah. few years. Uh, remarkable yeah. game, wasn't it? Yeah, I it was covering it, it was quite remarkable to be honest, Like um, because Spain's problem for the last few weeks has been a lack of goals, they only had three in their last five, so to score six like that um, was remarkable especially given they lost Sergio Ramos in the first half to injury and Sergio Canales as well which are kind of two important players from at the moment so yeah they're very very good and they look like a series kind of threat going into the final four and the Euros next summer as well to be honest you know.
1: Yeah uh, one of the few hammerins the illustrious team suffered last night in, on the international stage which we'll talk about <laughs> in a bit. Uh, also join us Conor O'Neill from the Liverpool Echo how are you mate? I'm um, good well, thanks mate yourself. Not too bad, mate. Not too bad. They're counting down the days till, till Premier League footy's back now, really. And uh, Also joining us, uh, writer, author, broadcaster, Jim Keegan. How are you doing, mate? you okay? I'm good. Thanks. You guys. Not too bad, mate. Yeah. Uh, you've got a new book out, which we're going to speak about uh, a little bit later on in yeah. the show as well. How to run a football club. Looking forward to having a chat about that. Uh, but lads, one, one thing I did just want to quickly ask you, all. So, uh, I don't know if you saw on various Emerson Twitter feeds today, and we put this out on our own. Well, it's 25 years ago today. But Andre Kanchelska scored a couple of goals at Anfield to win us that famous Merseyside Derby, Jim, an Audible Side. Then, yeah, and it's uh, it's one of them, isn't it? And uh, Dave Downey of this parish, of course, always maintains that, that Andre's the, the best Everton player he's seen in the flesh in his lifetime. So, I thought I'd just ask you guys if you've got any different opinions on that. I, I'd probably go along to be honest, think Kancelskis is probably mine as well. But do you lads have any different views on that,
2: Jim? I'll come to you first, mate. Uh, no, I think that's probably true. Actually, I think he was. I can, I can recall when we signed him. He was like the the sense that something was going to happen. I think at um at eleven when he came in, we just had a. Uh, I think it was the the season when we'd won the cup. I think yeah. it was, and, and um and uh, we'd survived, and then suddenly we get this fantastic player come in. He was a lot better than we were, really, and um couldn't really believe that that, that we got him. And obviously he came in and he was fantastic. And it, it I think his it sort of downturn in form seemed to coincide with that Royal side also starting to decline and then you go into the back end of the 90s when everything just turned shit so just for a brief moment I think he sort of uh, captured the excitement that we felt back then. Uh, Connor, what about, what about you, mate?
3: Well, unfortunately, I was far too young to remember Kanchanskis playing for Everton um, so I had to rely on my stories from my dad and my uncle about just how good he was and they were Certainly, that was a massive Konczeska's fan. He thought he was absolutely brilliant. Um, so, for me, I'd probably say the best player I've seen in the Premier League for Everton who really like, means to, to watch in the, in the flesh week in, week out. I just think, you know, for a good eight-year spell, he was just on the level. And you think, you know, you, you can't help but think he, what might he be achieved if he's left Everton and gone elsewhere. You know, but the fact that he was so loyal and he stayed loyal and... He just kept turning performance after performance after, and even last season when he he played a couple of games mm. when he first come back in. I think when, when he came back into Bournemouth last game of the season, which was obviously his far his appearance, he made a block, stroke tackle. As Bournemouth looked like they were to score, and it just looked like he rolled he rolled back the years like he'd never been away. I just think he, he's 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 the one for me. I think you look at what he's done consistently so long, and you know that left side that left side we have with Stephen Pienaar was just unbelievable, and yeah, I, I think he's. Obviously, after a long memories of Andres and Chelsea, for me, I think it's Leighton Baines it who's the best player I've seen from the Premier League certainly.
1: Yeah, Alan, I think you're probably a little bit younger as well than, than maybe maybe me and Jim, Certainly, uh, do you remember much of Andre, or is it all
0: videos for you? Uh, no, I agree with what was said there. To be honest, like I mean, my dad grew up in the '80s mainly. That was his era, as an Everton fan primarily. So like, obviously, always hear about the, that that team um and the 90s is kind of almost like a, a bit of a blur from my perspective in terms of what i read about it and when i watch about it but it's always seems to be Kinchelskis who kind of puts his head above the parapet whenever i watched him play from that era the way he plays kind of so explosive like the goal that david posted today on twitter like it was just pure skill and talent really like you know but like i'd have to agree with the baines is the best practice team player for Everton as well i just think that like his consistency over the years and also his personality um, was off the charts and I think I remember he was into my, uh, my United in Bayern Munich at one period I think if he had gone to Bayern Munich especially and won kind of titles and featured in the Champions League in the I think he would have become a really serious England player because I think that he never got the credit he deserved playing for Everton and I think that if he was at Bayern or, or another club like that the narrative around him would have been different and he'd be remembered differently in the English football but, um, but for me he's an absolute talent and I, I love him like, love him love like. him
1: yeah, Connor said you. would imagine what he could have got him to achieve. If he left Everton. Imagine the position where you might have been in, given how heavily oh. relied on him down the years with his assists and goals, and just being just being regular. But yeah, fair dues. I think the good answers there. Uh, interestingly, you now you said you Rodriguez, he's probably not not far away from, from being there. To be honest, even though he's earlier in his Everton career, but um, tough few days for him, Jim. Really, and, and, and Colombia in general. Obviously, getting me got sent off on Friday for two of offences, and a. Pretty rotten performance against the Uruguay in the World Cup qualifiers. Um, we had Paul McPartland on last night, and he was sort of saying that a lot of the Colombian press sort of thought that might be a blessing in disguise for them because Yenny has not been playing particularly well. Uh, Jason Murillo was drafted in; he's had a bit of an up and down few years. to Play centre back for them, and they got absolutely annihilated six-one by Ecuador last night um, at altitude in a really important game. And, Jamez scored, but it was you know, a, a really difficult night. You've had a lot of stick over the last few days. The manager's had a lot of stick over the last few days. But just sort of throwing this forward to, to the weekend and Jamez and potentially coming back into the country. Is it a little bit of a concern for you, this? He's played 90 minutes and two really trying games
2: and there's, there's a lot of scrutiny on him. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope it doesn't have uh, an effect. But I, I hate the international breaks. I hate, I, mean, I hate international football. I can't stand England. So well, to me it's always like, as I, as Evertonian, it's just like a lot of risk. So our players go away, get injured, or they go away and have a terrible experience like he's had. And it's also you, um, you kind of pay the price. And, you, and you're kind of thinking now the way things are, you wonder why so many of these games are taking place. Really mm-hmm. the, the priority should be club football and the club season. And yet yeah, they seem to have played an awful lot of international games. And yeah, yeah, you look at... um. Uh, the weekend, then you've got Coleman with, with the injury, you've got mm. um, Mina and Rodriguez coming back after you know, a, a horrible drop in And uh, uh, Alan getting a knock, uh, Richarlison could have had a terrible injury in his game. You're thinking, that could have had a really like horrendous impact on our on our fixture for like for a, a kind of football which I think a lot of fans don't really care about, especially during the season.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think that with those, the South American qualifiers in particular, Connor, I always think because those teams play each other so frequently, there's there's a lot more rivalry and a lot more intensity in those games. Obviously, when it comes to the European matches, you get drawn from, from a bigger pool of teams and they play each other so consistently, that you know, it feels like every match there's a rivalry, you know, Colombia, Uruguay, Uruguay, Chile, Brazil, Argentina, obviously, Brazil, Chile, Brazil, Colombia. There's a lot of stories and little rivalries that have gone on throughout the, the years with those sides. And it always feels like whenever they play each other, it's a big occasion. And as a result, you don't get those those games where teams coast to wins or, you know, it's 3-0 it's after 20 minutes and people can get taken off the, the full throttle matches all the time and I suppose that's one of the downsides of having so many South American players, isn't it? Not only do they have to travel halfway across the world, but their World Cup qualifying matches tend to just be a whole lot more intense and a whole lot more aggressive than, than European and, and maybe maybe African and Asian ones.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And it, I mean, I, certainly someone, you know, you're looking at the fixtures, you look at the results you know, I, I'm nervous waiting wait to see what comes with it, so God knows how Carl Ansharotti and the staff feel because they must be sitting there like just absolutely, you know, bracing themselves to the worst because, like you say, the games are so full throttle and so, you know, a, a aggressive almost you see some of them and, you know, it, it's worse than what you'd see probably in England in the, the 90s and the 80s in terms of the aggression and the way you know, like, people just get stuck in so it, it is a worry but the only good thing is that, you know, they'll be back at Everton in a couple of days, and hopefully, you know, to make them, you know, warm more, embrace the club, Everton than the internationals. I, mean, I know James took an absolute hammering after Colombian press didn't he? After last night, and mm. I think one 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 publication gave him three for his performance. Another one kind of hung him out to dry and asked him what his problem was because he it's not the same player who's playing for Everton, etc. So hopefully, this type of thing just makes them warm to Everton more than the international duty. And, <laughs> They, they might think about going, they might think twice about going international you see in, in future two
1: other seasons. It sounds a lot when they want to come back to Everton for a break, doesn't it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think as well, like, in Europe for sure, I think it's very kind of sterile, the international break. Like, I think it's kind of something that has to be done rather than something that people want to be done. It's kind of, it all builds up to the European uh, championships and the World Cups. Um, but I think in South America it's different because like, you have to realise like, most of their players are playing in Europe, so the only thing they can see them in the flesh is when they're playing for their countries at home. And, like, the kind of the shithousery is, like, off the charts. Like, like for instance, the Colombia game against Uruguay. Colombia played the game at half three in Barranquilla on the Colombian coast of Colombia, obviously. Um, <laughs> in like, in like, serious humidity at half past three in the afternoon purely to kind of get into the heads of the Uruguayan players because they aren't used to that climate, you know? So, like, obviously it didn't work for them because they had the worst defeat in 82 seasons or something like that. But it just goes to show the kind of like how far they take it, you know. And even though the fans aren't there at the moment, I think that atmosphere is kind of really deeply impermeated in all the players' life.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that, that, I think it, that, that it's, it's interesting stuff. That. and I, I don't know how it's going to work with James really, because it, it sort of feel like he is that, that fella who requires a bit of an arm around his shoulder, a bit of love. I think that's why he's done so well with with Carlo. So I don't know if what's happened over the last few days with him getting loads of grief we'll get to him. Or, like you said, whoever at Everton will feel like a, a nice warm embrace for him and he would be like, right, I can forget about Colombia now and, until March and, and get me out down. So, at least there's that side of it. Uh, obviously, coming out of the Brazilian games, uh, we'll, we'll talk about Alan very quickly first, Jim, uh, picked up a, a knock apparently in Brazil's first game, wasn't involved uh, last night in the win over Uruguay. Um, bit of a worry, isn't it? And, and, and I know the. People have been having a chat about his role on the side and whether he's potentially suited to, to be in that screen and defend, defensive midfielder in front of the back four. But, you know, at the moment, he's certainly the best option Everton have got there, isn't he, in terms of just, just midfielders, unless you want to move a Ben Grodfrey or, or Mason
2: Holgate there. So a little bit of a worry that going into the weekend. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you, kind of, you want us you want going into these next few games as strong as possible because, I mean... They're not so important that they can define our season, but you, if we don't get a fair few points from the next few weeks, and then we go into that horrible Christmas period, where um, a lot of the, you know, the the good teams and the, the, the fixtures come thick and fast, then, you know, suddenly a, a season that looks so hopeful takes on a slightly different uh, colour. So, yeah, it's not just Alan. You want all our players to um, fit and ready to play. And, and so far this season, that hasn't happened that frequently. So we're still reliant on the players that really none of us once seeing playing for Everton. That's where you're still getting people like Delph and Sigurdsson getting into, into the team. And really after, after last season, you just don't want to see that anymore.
1: Yeah, and I think with Adam in particular, Connor, I think there's, there's been times where you've looked at him and thought, you know, he's this tenacious ball winner that we would we sort of build when it'd be gone from Napoli, all around the pitch, putting out fires everywhere. And there's other times maybe when he's been Carrying a bit of a knock, or he's felt a little bit tired, that it's sort of like there's no in between of him. He's either really, really good, or he looks like he's you now blowing for tugs at times. You know, the Southampton game in particular is one that, that, that you know, that springs to mind. Um, and I suppose with, with potentially having a knock, that, that is a concern. I suppose with that in mind, the Sunday game uh, might be a blessing in disguise, mightn't have given these lads an extra day's rest. But But certainly with Alan in particular, I think it's early days now. But he sort of strikes me as the sort of player that needs to be at a hundred percent to to be at his absolute best. Maybe he can't quite function at ninety or eighty percent like some players.
3: Yeah, I think he's he's the type of player he's, he's all or nothing. not isn't he? It's either It's either everything or very little. And I think we've seen, you know, certainly post Merseyside derby, it, it tended to be the nothing side of things where he was kind of there, but he was ineffective almost, and you know, almost quite absent the game, bypassing, by just to get through the ninety minutes. And I think I actually think to be fair, I think he's had a knock for a while. Mm. I think he's I think he actually played a couple of times before this international break hinges, Or not certain not a hundred percent. And I think he, he, he maybe in some respect should have been taken off the final line a little bit by by Carl Ancelotti and, and rested. But I think that it goes back to what Jim said there. Maybe, you know, Carlos looking at think, well, actually, you know, a ninety, eighty percent fit Allen is better than a Fabian Del for Tom Davis or you know, Guilfree Sigurdsson in there. I think I think that's more than anything, I think, is that, you know, if these if, if we're still kind of in the... It just shows as well how far we've still got to go because if we're in a position where we're basically going to play players who aren't 100% fit because the alternatives aren't pretty, aren't better, no better, then it just shows how far we've got to go and the, the job that Karl Alonso still got to do because, you know, things have slipped a little bit, but I, I do think that's because we've been playing players who haven't been 100% fit. I think Alan's one of them. James Rodriguez is another one. I don't think he's been 100% fit in, in the games he's played since the Merseyside derby. So I think Everton paid the price for that, and I think they paid the ultimately paying the price for a squad that's not as strong as what maybe we all think it was when we started the season, and hmm. a squad that hasn't got the the faith that hasn't got Carlo Ancelotti's full faith, should we say? Is is that something that you mind? in
1: regards to. Carlo bringing place straight back early, who maybe might be 60-70% fit or, or whatever you know these numbers are going further and further down aren't we as we go on these podcasts I think we're, think we're all remembering, remembering what the performances were like before the break and thinking oh none of them were more than half fit but it, it does feel very much like that with Carlo doesn't it and I, I don't know you know obviously follow Spanish footy and European footy whether this is a, a trend that is from other clubs as well but it feels like he'd he'd rather just get what he considers to be his, his best lads on the pitch, regardless of whether the fully fit and regardless of what might happen in a week or two weeks' time.
0: Yeah, I think that, like, I was shocked, for instance, when Holgate faced back into teaming against United. Yeah. Just, that, like, how could he start um, after so many months out, no game time, um, when you had Jeremy and Mayakine who were performing, maybe not great, but they were performing quite well. Um, so I was surprised by that, to be honest. Um, but I just think it kind of shows that he has so much faith in the players he has faith in and the players outside of that circle, he doesn't. And I think that it kind of goes at odds with what Marcel Brands wanted with the squad, which was to build a squad of 23 players who are all of a good ability and it's kind of interchangeable and rotationable. Um, but Everton aren't there at the moment at all. Like, like We're so reliant on certain key players and when they're missing, the whole thing goes to shit. Like, And like if you look at the drop-off in quality from the likes of James and Richardison to say Oubi and Bernard, it's quite steep, like, you know, like, it will be in Bernardo, they're good players, like, but they're not at the level we aspire at being at, and they're never going to be starters for us, you know, they're not consistent enough, and they're not good enough, basically. So I think it's kind of difficult, because he's looking at the short term, and taking a gamble on Allen, who's 90% fit, uh, Holgate, 60% fit, Richardson 75% fit, or whatever, is probably better for him than lumping in Ben Godfrey at centre-back, against Marcus Rashford um, are bringing in you know Fabian Delph as you said for Alan, are mm. bringing in Aoubi on the left for uh, Richardison, you know so I think it's kind of a difficult balance to strike really you know
1: yeah and um, one of those important plays you mentioned there obviously is Richardeson um, I think as Jim mentioned earlier, on he nearly had his like snap last night by Edison Cavani uh, came off after that that tackle and hobbled around a little bit but all the indications are that he's alright and I'll come to you first on, on this one, Al, in regards to his importance to the side and how nice it is to have him, have him back. I think, just in general, it's been a very Richarlison couple of days. He scored for Brazil last night. He's been on, on Twitter taking the piss today, hasn't he? Before, I don't know if anyone's seen this before he came on, but he found dug up an old tweet from Sky Sports News from two years ago saying, I'd like to be saying, that's right, Everton are paying £50 million for Richarlison. He's just re- replied with the first line of the Richarlison song. So he's yeah. back scoring goals. He's back taking the piss on Twitter. Um, and it's just going to be nice to see him back in that blue
0: shirt again on Sunday, isn't it? He's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, like, I've spoken with this so many times before, I feel like, but I just think he's so important to Everton at the moment. Like, I think that when he's not playing, um, Everton are lacking kind of urgency and lacking a kind of disrupting force. Like, when he's in the team, I think he creates kind of space For say, James to do his damage, you know. But when he's not in the team, I think that opponents can kind of narrow in on like our attacking threats more specifically. I just think that he brings so much kind of chaos and aggression to the team that otherwise we don't have in that eleven. To be honest, like you know, so I think he's huge, hugely important to the club. So I'm delighted to have him back for sure, and his personality as well, of course. Like I think that as well, we kind of don't understand fully how big Brazil is and how big Brazilian culture is because like. It's a Portuguese-speaking country, so it kind of has a self-contained culture and it's 300 million people. So, like, when you're a star in Brazil, you're a star. Do you know what I mean? Like, And Richardson is really good mates with Neymar. He's in that circle of players who are kind of becoming stars. So, like, his celebrity is massive and it's only going to get bigger because I think that he's the kind of player who's dedicated to his craft and he'll only get better. So I think that, although we said Leighton Baines for myself and Connor is the best player to play for everything, I think in five or ten years if everything progressed the way we hope they progress and he stays at the club, then we could be saying he is. Hmm.
1: I suppose it's, it's got to the point now, hasn't it, Jim, where, you know, we, we haven't, you know, everyone knows about this record that we've got without him in the team. Now Everton have not won a match in the Premier League without him starting since he came to the football club. And, you know, it's, I, I imagine that would have permeated through to the players and the staff as well. And maybe it was something that would have been on their minds Maybe not going into that Southampton game, but certainly after that, into the Newcastle and Manchester United matches. And, and subconsciously or not, and maybe football players shouldn't be thinking like this, but just by him being there, even if he has a poor game it doesn't do much, everybody else is going to feel that little bit more competent, aren't they? Because he's going to be like, well, he's, he's back now, so we're allowed to win football matches again.
2: Yeah, well, I think he, he gives a lift, doesn't he? I mean, just his presence, um, you know, it gives the whole team a lift, just having him there because they know what he can do i think uh, like uh, alam was saying he, he does things that, that no one else can do in that team he 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 drives the ball forward he occupies defences he's um, he does a lot of the kind of the, the ugly work as well he's kind of he's, he's chasing people down he's he's, he's attacking from the front and um you you shouldn't be so reliant on one player but i mean a lot of teams maybe not as reliant as we are, but a lot of teams have that player who's sort of, without them, they're a different side. You know, yeah, you know, Lidtou, that Mane are a different team. And mind you, that Fernandez are a different team. He is, he's that kind of player for us. Uh, and possibly more reliant on him than other others are on their star players. But he's just, a, he's just a, he's a wonderful player. He's wonderful to watch. It's fantastic that he's part of our team. It's great that he always looks so pissed off as well. He's constantly pissed off. <laughs> All the time.
1: Just yeah,
2: that's a way. Problem. Wonderful <laughs> that is. Um, so yeah, you, you'd hope that you know, come the weekend, just having him back, uh, not only does it give everyone a lift, but also it, it allows us to kind of play like we want to play. I think without him, we can't really function the same way. We haven't got that driving force. We haven't got that player doing the ugly work, and other players have to try and do it. And Deanna's good, to be honest. So it's you know, I'm, I'm relieved that he didn't get that horrific tackle, and that he's going to be playing at the weekend.
1: Yeah, and I suppose Connor as well, he, he should be confident, shouldn't he? Because he, he's come away from those two Brazil games, started both of them. So it feels like he's fully integrated into that setup, albeit you know, Neymar's injured at the moment. But you know, it feels like he's a regular starter for Brazil now. He wore the, the number seven shirt in both games. Scored last night, he's had a, a few weeks
3: off before that he, he should be feeling absolutely brilliant about himself now, shouldn't he? Yeah, I, I mean I think it's good as well in some respects that I know he had the tackle stuff, but he's got ninety minutes under his belt on, you know, 180 minutes. <laughs> Because he's not played for you know three games and he's managed to get a bit of bit of game time and just belt to come back and hopefully kick on. But you know, I think I echo what the, the two lads have said before. I mean, I wrote a piece last week for for the echo. You know, and I think you look at it now. You look at them three games where he wasn't there. You can't kind of get the feeling now, no matter how much effort, how much money ever have thrown at it in terms of improving, which they still need to do. They still need to obviously drastically improve. But still going to be the linchpin of the team. He's still going to be the key player, and he's still going to be the star. Because you look at how bad they, you know, how how bad the form fell and how bad the performances dipped without him in that team, it was alarming. And I think it was, you know, Carles' comments were were quite telling to me before the Man United game, where he basically said, "Well, without him, we have to set up differently." So you know, we're we're effectively a, a football club at the minute. We've got you have got two plans. We've got a plan with with and a plan without with Charles, and that's how important I think it, it truly is. Because you know, you see, you know, you look at Liverpool and you, you look at other clubs. They kind of do, you know. They lose a big play It's like for like swap. Not really changes in the formation. Not really changes in the setup. Things kind of stay the same, you know. Before I'm, our man just basically admitted well, when we're out for Charles, we've got to play a completely different way because we've we've just lost the linchpin of the team. And I think that's how important he is, and you know, it's just relief that I think he'll be back playing because he'll start on Sunday. He's got to start on Sunday. and It's relief that he's back playing on, he's back on the pitch because you know a season that started so well and you so many bright sparks. You know, dipped in that you almost think any more games without him you'd you try to feel where everything could possibly be
0: I remember somebody said to me before as well just comparing him to Hamas is like some players thrive on cooperation and kind of on peace and other players thrive on chaos and opposition and I think that Hamas is the kind of the prior he kind of thrives when the weather is good and when he's in a situation that's good for him, when he's the main man, and when he's mm. kind of loved and supported. Well, I think Mersharyson's the kind of player who performs no matter what. Like, and he kind of makes his own weather almost, you know. And I think that asset, as well as his ability, is just so invaluable in world football. Really. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or
1: seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to amazon.com apply. That's amazon.com apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. Yeah, uh, he will be back in the team on Sunday. Uh, as Connor said, they'll be very surprised if he was on the bench. Can you imagine the fume at 11 a.m. if uh, <laughs> he wasn't in the side? Uh, morning fume for, for, the, for the toffees, yeah. Uh, but moving on to, to have a chat about that game. Uh, Connor, I'll come to you first. There's, there's going to be a lot of talk about one Fulham playing in particular, I imagine, the build up to that, and it's, it's Adam Ola Luckman. Um, that that penalty before the international break just <laughs> uh, every time it popped up on my feed, I couldn't watch it. It was just horrendous. It was just one of those things. Although sort of, one time's enough seeing that. Um, so he's going to be under pressure. He's going to be, you know, he's probably got his manager's words ringing in his ears still. I think his teammates and his, you know, his supporters won't be happy with him. But um, he's got something
3: to prove, and I think by and large he's done done pretty well there, hasn't he? Yeah, by, by all accounts, he yeah, had done pretty well, I think, until that penalty. I think, uh, mm. I think it was, that was one of the moments where, I mean, I was on Twitter that night because it was the late Saturday game, wasn't it? And mm. they were, you know, they seem got a penalty and I thought, oh, no, that's a, not a bad point for Paul, get got to pick up point Then You see the tweets of people saying, oh, what's he done, what's he done? And you don't quite believe, I think, what you're reading until you actually see it. In, and I remember seeing it for the first time, just thinking, wow. But I think taking away that penalty, you know, He's he's a strange player looking because he was one that really impressed me with at Everton and he was one that you kind of there was a there was a stage where you had high hopes for him and you did think he could be something. I know we ever talked about the city going, but there was flashes with in other games where you thought you know, he's he's got something and I must admit I, I was quite disappointed when the club made the decision to let him go out on loan uh, in that January under days, especially after Saldeis had come out, you know, but week before and kinda of said he's going nowhere, he's staying with us, you know it's all nonsense. He's staying with us and then transferred that land, you know, or the day before we we kinda pack him off. And I it was just the fear and I think when he done that that he thought we well, might never see him again here because he's gonna go somewhere, get get used to playing, you know, first team football and probably probably look at everything and think I'm not coming back. And that sadly was the case. So it, it will be interesting on Sunday to see to see how he does and how he performs and if he's matured and he's kicked on from the, the younger or youngster than that he was a couple of years ago and you know, ultimately, if he can prove his Premier League, his Premier League clash, because I think you know he's probably one of them full-on players who don't think we can all agree. probably will go down, but there's always a couple of players, is you, get relegated, get relegated, with the clubs who are just not going to stay in the Premier League because they've been really good. You know, you think of you know Andy Robinson when he was at Hull, Jamal Lewis obviously when he's going to Newcastle. There's always a couple of players who you think, oh, they'll, they'll be in the Premier League next year. And I think it'll be interesting if he's in if he's in that bracket coming into the season because you think of where he was a couple of years ago, that's where he should be. And if he's not, then you, you do think he, he, he didn't quite have the, enough time to, to, to get over the line and make it and be that, that star name that he wanted it to be.
1: Hmm. How do you reflect on his time at Everton Allen in, in regards to the opportunities you got? I think at, at the time it was very much like. What, it's very similar, I think, to the situation we're in now of Anthony Gordon, where people are desperate for him to, to be in the team and want to see him add something a little bit different. But I, I just sort of think he was maybe just a victim of circumstances because there there's so much upheaval at the football club. As Connor mentioned, you and Sam Allardyce remember, Allardyce wanted them to go to Derby, didn't he? He was like, yeah, "No, nah, okay. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go and work in on one of the best youth setups in the world at, at Leipzig under under the progressive manager, instead Cheers." Um, but it just—I think ultimately, when you have a football club that's got so much instability and has such a high turnover of players and staff, that young players fall through the cracks, don't they? And maybe he was just one of them.
0: Yeah, I think it's difficult because I remember when he was kind of on the fringes, and everybody was like clamoring from the start and getting more game time. And the feeling was always that he was never given the adequate chance to kind of show what he can do. But I think, like, it's not a coincidence that he had three managers who didn't rate him enough to put him in the starting 11 on a consistent basis. You know, like first Kuhnman and then um, Allardyce and then Unsworth, you could say, and then um, obviously Marco Silva. Um, so I think like, it's something we have been thinking about recently a lot with the Anthony Gordon situation because especially for these kind of tricky wingers who can, who can do it, they can perform, but it's, I think top-level Premier League football is a different kettle of fish to performing well, if you, you know what I'm saying. Like, I think there's kind of a multitude of factors that go into it. And I'm just not sure is he ultimately ever going to be a top six player, you know? So I think it would be a bit kind of nailed on if he scored against us and had a blinder on Sunday. Like that, that could be the most everything thing ever. But um, I'm not sure will we regret him leaving in the next 10 years. I think he could be a bit like Ross Barkley. A very talented player but never quite good enough to hit the elite of the elite, I think, you know? So I don't think that and um, we'll miss him too much going forward. Hmm. He
1: Seems to have stepped up as a bit of a, a star man for them early on though, Jim, you know, I think everything I've seen that's been good from Fulham, you know, I think they've obviously down at the bottom, we've got four points from the eight games so far, but it seems that whenever they have played well and have created stuff, that, that Luckerman's been the architect of that.
2: Yeah, but I think, I think that's his level. I think he, I, mean, I think we bought him as a punt. I think we thought, and he had the potential to be a really good player turns out with those, he, he never really shone. Never really impressed that much. And maybe he's, he's all right if he's playing in a team that will finish in the bottom eight or might go down to the championship. But actually, as Alan was saying, you don't look at him and think, he's a player who's going to make it in the top six who teams like United and Liverpool are going to be after. You can see him playing for clubs like Fulham, like Villa. Um, teams who are never... Kind of challenge, really, you know, consistently for the the, the higher places in the league. And he'll probably do well at that level. He'll have good games. He'll have bad games. He'll turn up for some. He'll he'll you know he'll score the occasional cracking goal. But I don't think um, he was ever what what we needed, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I just yeah, just didn't really ever really work out for him, did it? Uh, but just. On Fulham in general, Connor, uh, kind of a bit of a, like I said, I think that the, the side that have been rotten at times this season, you know, remember that first game of the, 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 brand, the brand new season against Arsenal where Arsenal just rocked up to Craven Cottage and rolled them over and you sort of thought that they were going to, you know, go down really with a whimper straight away on that, that opening day but I think they, they've got a bit better in, in recent weeks. I think they've, they've made some smart signings. They should have got a point at West Ham, uh, as you mentioned there. They beat West Brom in the game before that and, Maybe not not quite as as poor a Fulham side as we saw when when they were last up, and with that in mind, might be a bit, bit more of a challenge than a lot of people are expecting on Sunday.
3: Yeah, I, I think it'll be I think it'll be a tough game. I, I really do. I think they'll they'll probably look at the break and, and think you know it, it, they'll look to build on the momentum that they built before the break, and I think it, it'll be a tough game for them because you know I think as well Fulham if you look at it from their perspective. They'll probably be thinking that there's there's a chance because if they think, well, you know, if we start well they're in the front foot, we get nearly early goal. You know, I have lost the last four. Or not you know, last if you put them on the back foot, they, they might, you know, they'll be under pressure and we see what they've got. So I think they'll be they'll be looking at film as, you know, a fast start and see if we can try and put Everton on the back foot. So it'll be a tough game, but I think it's a game that, you know, if Everton have got any ambitions of, of getting, you know, top six. These are the these are the the away games that if you've got to win, you've got to pick up three points. I mean. I think every you will be disappointed if if come Sunday afternoon we've only picked up a point or we've we failed to come away with nothing because you know these are the games that you've got to win if you've got any aspirations of being right up at the top end of the table.
1: Yeah, I think if you look at the, the squad, Alan, it's a surprise by how much quality they've got in there for them in that regard. Just to go through it and you know they signed Alphonso Areola from PSG, who's you know a really highly rated goalkeeper. He's done really well for them. Joachim Anderson, a centre back, you know, was really highly rated at one point before he went to Leon. Not quite worked out for him. Loftus Cheeks in there as well from on from Chelsea. Mitrovic, Luckman. you know, they, they've got some players that can hurt you know, if, if you're not quite on it, haven't they?
0: Well, they do definitely. You know, I think that they've brought in so many players, and more than two seasons ago, um, and the model of the club, you know, being based in West London, it's kind of been the Premier League a lot the last twenty years. It's an attractive club for a player who's on the up, um, but I don't think they'll ever push on and become a really consistent top half top 18 and the next few seasons at least anyway Um, but I think regarding Sunday's game like it's obviously a banana skin because they have players who can hurt you Um, but I agree with Connor I think that if we're any way serious about getting a season back on track we have to be winning this game like there's no excuses to not win this game do you know what I mean I think that while they have quality. If you look at a man for man, we're better than them. And I think that with Ancelotti in charge, if we were losing to this team, uh, coach Westcott Parker, I think we have to seriously reevaluate our ambitions for the season. You know. Yeah.
1: Just before we get everyone's thoughts from an Everton point of view, uh, Cornish, quickly wanted to speak to you about Anthony Robinson, who's come into the team recently for Fulham, done pretty well. Uh, looking forward to seeing him on Sunday. Yeah, be interesting
3: how he does. You know, playing in the, the Premier League, and he's he's kind of got there in the end, but by the hard routes and the hard way. Obviously, you know. He was obviously a massive part of the early success David Dunsworth had at the club between the 23s. Opted to move away, went to Wigan. It looked like he was about he was, Europe, he was AC Milan bound in January, and then you know mm. all kinds of all kinds of fell apart. And then obviously the summer just gone. He was a couple of clubs interested in him. Sheffield United was one. He was 10 linked with Everton, but I don't think he was ever anything really. in And and also Fulham. And Fulham, you know, pretty much backed themselves above. I think they gone for just under two million quid. So. It'll be interesting to see how he does in the Premier League and how he copes. I mean, you know, I've said got there the hard way, and you know to see just if, if he if he did have it already. You know, we we're, were right in thinking that he wasn't just going to have enough to make the you know the, the high end Premier League grade.
1: Yeah, i suppose supposed still a lot of Blues in the summer who were advocating signing were worth there again, but uh, obviously ended up with Fulham. But uh, how do you think it's going to go uh, on Sunday
2: then, uh, GM? I'll come to you first, mate. What score? I think I think we'll concede because we do. <laughs> um, but I think I think you know Richardson back at Fulham will probably go down this season. I think I still think we've got enough to to beat the Madhavan. I reckon two one. Connor two
1: 0 All clean sheets. Yeah, uh, Alan, what about you, mate?
0: I'd say very ambitious, but three one. I think. There
1: we go. Uh, yeah, uh, wins across the board. There anyway. Uh, fingers crossed the Blues can get the job done. Uh, just before we wrap up tonight, uh, Jim, let's let's have a chat about your new book, mate. That, how many is this now? It's just the. Uh, this is uh,
2: five.
1: It's the fifth one. You'll, have, you'll be able to skip over onto the second page of Amazon. Oh, no, that's not going for.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, but uh, this one is How to Run a Football Club: The Story of Our National Game. Um, First and foremost, mate, why did you look into this particular part of, of, of football? I know you've done the punk football one before yeah. in regards to the fan initiatives and stuff like that. Was it was it that one that sort of led you down this path into doing this one?
2: It was more. I was coaching me uh, my son's junior team. Uh, he kind of wrote me he nagged he been, he, he nagged for years, and I sort of in the end I thought oh, I'd do it. And I like, I hadn't I hadn't sort of played that level for years, not since I was like in my teens, and like. I was struck by how how shit it is. Like, it, I mean, I mean, mm. literally, sometimes it's like dog shit on most of the pitches, and, mm. and uh, it's like the facilities are crap. The 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 pitches are you know there's no drainage. There's there's just no money there, and so I, I mean I was thinking like you have got this sport in this country where it's massively wealthy. It's never been this wealthy, you know, all through its history, and yet despite that, you've got parts of the sport sport that are on their arse essentially, and so my idea was to kind of go through the entirety of English football from kind of kids kicking their first balls, right to the pyramids into the football league, into the Premier League, to see kind of, you know, where the money is, where it's going, uh, what it takes to run a club at these various levels, and sort of get a a picture of like the state of the game, what's working, what doesn't work, and what is English football really like,
1: that so sounds like a, a, a painstaking process, that to me. But yeah, did did, did, it, did anything in particular surprise you about that?
2: Did, was it better than you thought or worse than you thought? It's much worse than I thought. It's um, like most clubs are like they live a hands to mouth existence. It's it's really it's amazing that we've got the, the pyramid we have because I mean it, it's kind of you know it's better it's better and bigger than than most countries. We've got you know thousands of clubs uh, run, but they they're kind of kept together by. Volunteers and people who just love football. There, there is no money there, and like it's, it's a. Uh, I think you've, it's been thrown into sharper focus during the during the lockdown and the pandemic that, that these clubs, if you you know, they they survive on gate receipts, on raffles, on uh, quiz nights, just to keep alive, and that the money is just concentrated in one really small area, and that, that small area refused to it, it just refuses to share. With the rest of the game even though that game supports it and we all engage with football at different levels with you know coaching junior kids playing five side, playing sunday league watching non-league clubs we're all engaging in football in a different way and that keeps us kind of motivating into the game but the premier league despite benefiting from all that just absolutely refuses to give more than a pittance to the rest of, of the pyramid and it's it's a disgrace really
1: um, with that in mind then, what did you make of the recent Project Big Picture and stuff like that? Because I feel like you've, you've hit on uh, one thing there in regards to the lockdown, which I think makes this, this book particularly pertinent in regards to clubs living hand-to-mouth and just struggling to get by. And I think the other one is what's been in the news over the last few months in regards to, to Project Big Picture and you know what was effectively a dressed-up power grab. I mean, did, did that make you especially angry, given the research yeah. you've done in, the, in this book and, and what you would seen happens at that sort of level in the game?
2: Yeah, because there's no there's no way that John Henry gives a shit about clubs at step three. He just it was just it was a naked power grab using this crisis really in English football where you've got odds on when this is all over there won't be the same number of clubs at the end that we're going into this. Clubs will, I mean, clubs have folded. Clubs will go out of business. And um, I, I don't picture Liverpool's owners sitting in their ivory towers worrying about clubs going out of business in the Boston League or somewhere like that so it's um there were, there were some good elements to what was proposed and yet there should definitely be a more equitable share of the revenue that's created but it should just be on those terms it shouldn't be I'll give you money if I get more for myself that's not how this should work it should be government or the FA for once doing something decent and intervening saying you shouldn't have everything you just waste most of it on wages. Why not invest it into kids? who, who should be able to play football on decent pitches week in week out, rather than on, you know, quagmires. Occasionally, it's just a, it's a really topsy-turvy uh, situation in this country that it's it, it's just weird that it kind of it, it's allowed to continue. Hmm. I'm, I'm, Alan, in regards to
1: that as well, you do like you said do a lot of coverage of Spanish footy. and I feel like in in this country we speak about the the football pyramid and the football league are sort of like a homogenous mass that's, you know, and it probably should be really, probably should be more than it is. Is is it similar in, in Spain and Spanish football? Are they so invested in the, the sort of the puritanical nature of, of football at every single level? Or do you feel as though it's the wealth and, you know, the money drips down a little bit better when it comes to Spanish footy?
0: Um, I think the divide is 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 less great in Spain. To be honest, like I think between especially the Segunda and the Primera, the first division, second division, it's kind of not in terms of quality. The quality is a very big gap, but in terms of the finances, like the finances in the Premier League are astronomical. Like I mean, I remember in the summer there was a lot of kind of core in Spain because Leeds were picking up some very talented like players who were playing for you know mid table and top half La Liga clubs, and they were competing with clubs in La Liga who are historically uh, you know well, not historically, but contemporarily bigger performing in Europe and stuff, whereas laser is new to promote, it. a lot of Spanish people were quite kind of um, not insecure but kind of offended that that 's even happening you know, and a lot of the negativity is towards uh, the money in the Premier League, um, but I think the youth system in Spain is definitely better integrated in terms of for the the grassroots levels and the club levels um, but the fandom culture is quite different in Spain, to be honest. Like, I mean, aside from cities like Seville and Bilbao, um, and there's other exceptions too, uh, the majority of cities will have fans who support either Barcelona or Real Madrid. Like it's not the same local pride that there is in the UK, especially in Liverpool. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, it's quite a different culture, to be honest. like You know, there definitely isn't the same rhetoric around preserving the heritage of a uh, the Football League in Spain as there is in the UK. But I just wanted to ask you actually, Jim, did you find that there was like a division between the North and the South in terms of how well integrated the grassroots systems are with the Premier League clubs and the professional clubs? Or was it kind of the same all over? Or was there any other kind of regional kind of um, outliers in the UK?
2: The only kind of difference uh, was Liverpool. uh, They're the only two clubs so far who have made a a concerted effort to... uh, share some of the wealth. They, I think recent, I think it was last year they, they via their community foundations they've put together, they've invested some money to try and make sure that um, you've got better facilities and that uh, something that's happened quite recently is that kids can't afford to play football which is a, n- a new thing so you know the mantra is football for all but actually some kids are being priced out so the idea that Liverpool and doing was to make sure that doesn't happen and that everyone's got access to uh, football. But, Jim, just
1: very quickly, what, what sorts of things would price youngsters out of, of playing football then for the, people who may not be aware it's the of? Subs, that. It's the subs. Yeah.
2: So, you, so you've got things now like one of the one of the ideas the FA brought in to kind of um, to tackle the problem of, of poor quality pitches was these things called um parklife. And I think there's a few in Liverpool where they have like uh, artificial pitches, um, but they're kind of self-sustaining hubs, and so they charge quite a lot. So if you play for the club that gets access to park life, obviously your subs rise. And so there are some families who will have to leave that club and you know go somewhere else. But equally, there are some families that because pitch fees have increased, because kits cost more, because coaching qualifications are really expensive, even teams that aren't using park life, they're facing higher subs. And I, I talk to coaches who've you've had to kind of put their hands in their own pockets to pay for their players to, to keep going. But even then, there are some families who... You might have three boys, and they're deciding which of those boys get to play football because not all three can. You can't afford the, the the petrol to games. You can't afford the subs. It's just becoming too expensive to play football. Which, if you think in this country, with our kind of love for the game, is a disgrace, really.
1: Yeah, I think that it's, a lot of that's something I'm not even thought about. To be honest, you know, you think that it should be easy to join a team, easy to be able to play every Sunday if you want to, but stuff like that certainly in, in the current climates, And when we do get out of lockdown, it's, it's going to be hard for everyone. And just, just very quickly, in regards to the academy side of this, Conor, I wanted to ask you on this. It, it feels, you know, when I knew Jim was coming on today and thinking about this and sort of the structure as a whole, I was thinking about the academy setup, up and, and both the lads there have sort of spoken about how academy being integrated, is different, you know, in different countries and different parts of this country. It just, it feels as though with the money at the top of the game now, which is pooled so heavily in the Premier League, as Jim mentioned, that a lot of players are just getting stuck either be it at Everton or other academies where they get to a point in the career, they sign that contract, they're on a decent wage, and all of a sudden it's like, well, we can't offload you, X wants to, to pay you money. And they just sort of go through two or three years where they're just sort of stuck in, in a bit of limbo as well.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it, you know, I think that the, the, the whole, uh, I used to cover non-league football before, like when I was starting out younger, and what, what Jim said today about, you know, volunteers, that's what most of the football in this just ran off as volunteers. And I mean, I must admit, I got to know quite a lot of volunteers and they're only seen in certain Merseyside and, and beyond. And, you know, I don't know why they do it sometimes. <laughs> I <Yeah>. barely don't. <laughs> because they get no rewards. you know. They, they're constantly faced with problems. And one of the problems, I know, at the, youth, say at, the kids, at the kids' levels, is academy football. Because I know what you're saying there in terms of as kids get older, but, you know, we're now in a position where you know Everton Liverpool, they'll take kids in at six years of age. So you know you could run a local, you know, a local club in yours, and you know an Everton scout will come along and they'll take you know your three best players and they'll go to Everton and that's the last you see of them type thing. And then they might come along four or five years later and they they've been released, the the you know the the confidence has been knocked and you know they they're now kind of looking for a way back into the game. And some of these kids will only be 11, 12 years of age at that point. Yeah. It, just because of the way the brutality, the brutality of the way football's gone and I think you know for me this the whole academy structure and you know this it starts at the top and when they're 18, 19 something needs to change structurally because something's not right something's not right in the, in the cog of the wheel because there's, there's just too many you know there's too many lads who end up going by the wayside who don't end up playing or stop playing because like you say there you know there's, there's, there's certain instances, you know people at Manchester City there's, there's kids at Manchester City they're, they're there for two or three years they are the a ball because they're not good enough. They're not good enough to play for the City's EDS team. They're not going to get a look in the first team. They're on inflated money, so a, a League 1, League 2 club's not going to take them. And then they get released, and it's like they're trying to find a club that's going to take them on what they're being paid at the City, which is not going to happen. Yeah. And they either just filter out the game, or you know, they, they turn to other things, you know, other things that are wrong in life, to, to maintain that lifestyle they, they previously had. So for me, I think there's, there's something somewhere that in the Cog that needs to change at Academy and, and, and the kids' kids' grassroots football because something's not right somewhere and and, and, ho- and I think lockdown certainly has shone mm-hmm. on all these floors more and more than ever because these are these are the people who are you know we seen seeing first hand the struggles that clubs in League One, League Two to you know Northwest Counties first division, West Cheshire League facing, you know, something needs to change and hopefully Something will change, but like I agree with Jim said that it, it can't be project big picture. It can't, it can't be the thing <laughs> of let's just you know give them money, but we have no say type thing, and you just become a a puppet almost. There's got to be some kind of proper process and proper plan put in place, and, and hopefully that will come off the, off the back of this. Yeah, fingers crossed it does. Uh, Jim, where can people get hold of the book, mate? Well, probably right now the, the
2: easiest thing is uh, Amazon, or go to the the publisher's website, it's, uh, Pitch Publishing, I think, and you can get it from there yeah uh, we 'll include the link as well in the yeah. in, in below uh, whether
1: you listen to this on your, your podcast app or on the website or um yeah anywhere you listen to it uh, we'll include the link to go and buy it uh be great christmas present uh jim stuff's always fantastic so yeah get your hands on that uh, but yeah we are out of time today. thanks very much to Alan, Connor and jim that has been your weekly show just a reminder if you want to hear more from us we are over on patreon it's patreon.com slash the blue extra uh, multiple shows every day this week building up to that game against fulham so uh, if you want to hear a little bit more from us you can find us there but in the meantime we'll speak to you again next week on the weekly show
0: confessions from pitch and forge i'm not scared of heights but that 200 foot drop at mountain monster wow i screamed so loud my wife hasn't looked at me the same way since
2: This year, my siblings and I surprised our mom at Dollywood for her 70th. Seeing all her kids and grandkids together was really special.
0: I think we'll all remember this trip. Confessions from Pigeon Forge. Visit MyPigeonForge.com to plan your trip today.
3: Sports Social Podcast Network.